Hello, and welcome to the Signpost Inn podcast, a space at life's crossroads to connect with God and find direction. Pour yourself a drink, grab a seat, and join us on the back porch for a friendly conversation about Christian prayer, spirituality, and faithful theology. My name's Matt. And I'm Brandon, and we're really glad you're here. The Signpost Inn podcast is brought to you by the Signpost Inn ministry, where we offer spiritual direction, retreats and sabbatical residencies, and lots of resources and training. You can find out more about what we do and support us by visiting signpostin.org. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about how having an image of God as a good father changes our prayer life. But before we jump into that discussion, we need your help. Please help us meet our financial goals by becoming a supporter. We currently really need regular monthly supporters, but please also consider a one-time gift this coming November on Giving Tuesday or as an end-of-year gift. As a 501c3 charity, we cannot continue to do what we do without support from people like you who truly believe in the power of slowing down, listening to each other, knowing, and being known. Donating is quick and easy at signpostin.org donate. And now, here's the show. Hey, Matt, it's good to see you. Good to see you too, Brandon. So we were talking before we started recording about last time that we got together and talked. And last time we talked about people who are deconstructing and people who are deconstructing, we talked about that could be a healthy thing mm-hmm. if what they're doing is deconstructing a bad image of God. Yeah. So some of the people I've talked to in a spiritual direction capacity are going through a very healthy deconstruction because they're they're deconstructing this image of God who's distant or angry or whatever, and they're starting to see him as he really is, as he reveals himself in Christ and in scripture. So we were talking about that before, and you mentioned this quote by Tim Keller, and and I thought it was really good. So can you say that again on air now? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. kind of explain it. Yeah. So it was years ago, and I was... Uh... You know, listening to one of Tim Keller's sermons on podcast form, he was preaching on First John chapter three verse one that talks about us being sons of God, and uh, it was sort of just this throwaway anecdote that he threw in there. But for me, it just it has stuck with me for years. And what he said was, he said, "The only person who would dare to wake up a king in the middle of the night for a glass of water is his own son." And whenever you really think about that, that is, that is really profound. You know, here's a king with great authority and power to do all kinds of things. And yet his own son has the, has the nerve, so to speak, to go to him in the middle of the night and say, Daddy, can I have a glass of water? And I think the, the point that Keller was trying to drive home and the, the point I really took away is that this is the kind of God that we serve. This is how God, whenever he uses the imagery of God as our father and a good father, is what he's wanting us to picture. And that's just really stuck with me and I think has definitely uh, had a profound impact on my growth and, and the growth of how I see God, which is what we were talking about. So what about that? What about that anecdote spurred your mind and made you related to what we've been talking about? One of the things that I don't want to do in this podcast or in our ministry is slip into the um, the easy mode of just saying accurate good things about God because I think we do that. Like what we do is we we substitute we know the right things to say about God, and we sort of substitute correct knowledge 
for actual relationship with God. And that quote, here, here's how I see what it works for somebody who's in a deconstructive phase. But even if, I, I don't even think it matters. I think for all of us Christians who struggle to experience a personal relationship with God, experience God as being really present in our lives all the time, prayer is the answer. But that quote, like what prayer is at its root, at its like what its beginning point is, is beginning to actually trust in my actions that God is that kind of father. How does that, how does seeing God that way, how does that change your actions, your prayer life, what you, how you actually talk to God? Does it change it? Have you done, have you prayed differently because of that? Yeah, definitely. In fact, I feel like as God has uh, matured me spiritually, my prayer life has become much more casual and conversational in a lot of ways at a lot of times, then that's not always the case. But so going back to that metaphor, I think the thing that it challenges is not that we don't think of God as mighty or powerful or important enough, because I think we do. I think what it challenges is what God thinks of us. We have preconceived in our own mind of how God thinks about us. The kid, so to turn the metaphor around, the kid who doesn't go to his dad in the middle of the night to get some water or have their needs met is the one who thinks they're in trouble. I don't want to make them more mad. And I think sometimes we can fall into this assumption that God's mad with us, unhappy with us, or is really just like a hair away from losing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to re to to challenge that belief, to rethink it, and to think, well, wait a second, what if God actually loves me? Yeah. What if God actually cares about the smallest needs or my simplest feelings? What if that matters to Him? What would that change? Yeah. I and I can hear the questions from some people who are listening, and the reason I can hear it is because. In our Sunday school class recently, this question came up. Okay, that's all well and good, but aren't we supposed to fear God? And what I hear behind that question is what you were just saying is there's the kid who says, but really I should be in trouble. I'm such a bad person that God hates me. And what I want to say back to that person is, okay, the first part of that is probably true. I am a bad person because of sin. The second part is the part that that's not true. God doesn't hate you. And, if, and so there, so how do we answer, how do we resolve this like fear? You know, God is just, God is graceful in, uh, tension. It's in what you're articulating. God is a good father. There are times when I should fear him, but I should, I should never fear him like I would fear an abusive father. Yeah. I fear him the way you fear a good father when you have done something wrong. Hmm. But think about that relationship. Underneath that fear is a deep belief, a deep conviction that yes, my father's going to chastise me. He's going to you know, he's going to correct me because he loves me. Mm-hmm. And there's this deep, you know, you can even have a deep disappointment for having disappointed him, but what we are doing in this life as we are growing and as we are what prayer is 
the personal relationship part of the Christian life is learning over time through experience of talking to him to see him as he really is. Mm-hmm. When I'm talking to somebody who's really struggling with faith in God, a Christian who's struggling with their faith in God, like I want to take your picture, Tim Keller's picture and say, you know what you need to do? You need to get up in the middle of the night and go knock on your father's door and ask him for a cup of water and see how he responds. He doesn't fling the door open and yell at you. You know, he opens the door before you even knock and he brings you in and he gives you a cup of water and he sits on the side of the bed and says, how are you doing? He doesn't care what time of night it is. (laughs) First Peter five, six through seven says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. So many people I've talked to get caught on that first line, humble (laughs) yourself under the mighty hand of God. And they're like, well, how do I do that? How do I do that? How do if I don't humble myself under the mighty hand of God, then God won't care for me. Yeah. But if you actually read it in context and you see what the verse is saying, what humbling yourself before the mighty hand of God means is to believe that God, the mighty one is ordering and ordaining all of the events in your life for your good. That's what Peter's actually talking about in the entire letter. He's writing to people who are suffering persecution. And what he's writing to tell them is don't be afraid. Give all your cares to God because he cares for you. It's prideful to think that he doesn't care for you and that you have to do something to get that care. <laughs> the word humiliating in our day and age, nobody wants to be humiliated. Right. Because the, they think it's synonymous with shame, which it's not necessarily that. Exactly. It literally just means surrendering, putting yourself under. Putting yourself under what? That's the question we ask Peter. The care of God. Yeah. And, and the, the imagery works again is taking the attitude of a child, going to his father. That's a humble position to be in, especially for, you know, us mature and sophisticated adults that think very highly of ourselves. The idea of looking at ourselves just as a child who just needs very basic needs met from their father is a humbling experience, but it connects us with reality. Yeah. What we're trying to encourage is not thinking only different, not only thinking differently about prayer and God, but about then actually acting on those different thinkings, those different ways of viewing God. So I think the question now is like, what would it look like? How would your prayer look different? And that's the question I already asked you, but how would your prayer look different if you really intended to trust God like the good father? And I think that's a question that we we can start to answer as we begin to unpack different practices in prayer. And I hope that what we can do it that way is move the idea of like spiritual formation or spiritual practices out of the category of I need to do these things in order to make myself more pure so I can draw closer to God, which is an ancient heresy, mm. and move those things into a position of Look, spiritual practices are are all they really are, to use our analogy we've been using the whole way through, is the son of the king 
lying in bed, needing a drink of water, knowing he needs to go get to the king and ask, but struggling with fear that if he does it, the king's going to be angry. And then the practice is go ahead and do it anyway. Yeah. And he gets up and he goes and he finds out, lo and behold, the king is delighted to see him. And then the next night, those fears come back. Yeah. But he goes, no, I'm going to trust him again. I really am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surrender to the idea that my father loves me. Gets up, goes, discovers, lo and behold, the father is delighted to see him again. So, so spiritual practice, prayer in specific, I, we, we've got to move it out of this category of something we do for God or to God into the category of something that we're doing as an act of trust. Mm -hmm. That's why it says, cast all your cares on him. That's what prayer actually is. Yeah. It makes me think of that thing that you said during our last podcast, which is um, instead of asking people what they think about God, ask what they feel about God. And essentially getting to the idea of let's really talk about how you're operating and what image is actually in your mind whenever you think of God. And this is almost parallel to that in that, well, what do you think that God thinks or feels about you? Yes. And so if, so in relation to first uh, Peter chapter five is what if you actually thought what if you actually operated on the belief that God really does care about you and your most insignificant needs? Like, what if you actually started believing that God cares about the things you care about and wants to hear about them? Yeah, because what God is doing is a real thing in our lives that is full. It's not about accuracy, having the right thoughts or even having the right feelings about God. But we do investigate our thinking and our feeling about God in order to clear away the misconceptions that sin raises that prevent us from seeing reality as it really is. So here's another passage that actually connects with this. Paul, again, um, in Philippians, it's the, don't, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present, present your requests to God. The verse right before that, so that's... This is Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. And again, if you hear the rejoice in the Lord always as a command, mm -hmm. in a, I mean, it is a command, but it's a command following a promise. The Lord is near. Why am I rejoicing? <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> welling up rejoicing in my heart because, well, I gosh darn better rejoice. <laughs> you know, it's the battle has been won. The king, your father, is back at home. Rejoice, yeah. boy. He's just reminding you. The Lord is near. You don't need to worry about anything and everything. Bring your thanks, your thanksgiving, bring your prayers, your petitions, bring them all to the King. He's near. Yeah. The thing that it you're making me think of is, is something that I recently heard in Sunday school as well. Uh, we've been going through the Bible chronologically and we've been uh, 
recently we've been studying in Jeremiah, our teacher today made the point of comparing Jeremiah and Habakkuk and Job and these people in the Old Testament that we know that really were, were brutally honest with God about their discontent or, or the things that they're upset about or struggling with or suffering under. And um, how whenever you go to these examples, God doesn't cross his arms and or, or, or shut them down, but actually hears their complaint. Like you hear, you hear Job, you hear Habakkuk, uh, you know, Habakkuk saying, how long? God, you're supposed to be doing this and you're not. And I'm, bring, I'm bringing my complaint before you. His point was to say that God doesn't seem threatened by our complaints or by the things that we're frustrated about. Like those just don't threaten him. He seems perfectly content to sit down and, and listen like, okay, you've got something to say. I'll hear you out. Yes, but for the person who's in great suffering, that doesn't sound like enough. That God wants to hear it and just sits with you. And and as a father myself, I have done this. And I want nothing more than to take away that pain. But God is wise enough. And at times I have had the wisdom to see that it is better to let the child go through that sadness, that pain. And in God's economy, it's not only better he's already figured out how it's going to be for their glory. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what Peter says, right? I mean, he's like literally says, God will exalt you at the proper time. Suffer well. (laughs) Um, But he doesn't, he's not distant. He doesn't just let us suffer and, and stay distant. He, he does exactly what you just said. He's, he's not only not upset that we're angry about it. He comes and sits with us through it. I don't know if this is a good place to end or not, but I kind of think it is. I would like to end just by reading the lyrics, the words to the the hymn "Be Still My Soul," and I would and ask people to notice not only where the hope comes from, like why I can have a still soul, but notice that we're not seeking a resolution to bad emotion. What we're actually singing in the song is we're reminding ourselves to wait patiently on the Lord. And to acknowledge that he is currently with us. And to find courage to face hardship and negative emotion and to live through it. Yeah. So here are the words. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to your God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, your best, your heavenly friend, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful end. That's good. That's just the first verse. (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah. Um, Well, Matt, I'm appreciative of this time together. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Well, uh, and I, uh, I look forward to the next time we get a chance to meet together on the back porch and talk about some more stuff. I think there's, there's plenty uh, that we could keep discussing. And, and um, so far there's been, I feel like so many great things come out of this. So, all right. Well, I guess that's it until next time. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever the road takes you. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
don't forget to visit us at signpostend.org. While you're there, sign up for our e-newsletter and we'll send you a free ebook. Also, a big thanks to all of our supporters. Signpost N is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry, and we exist only because of our generous donors who make everything we do possible. Please consider supporting us with your recurring donation. Visit signpostin.org slash donate.